0: We're not just a couple of middle-aged fat guys talking about classic rock. We're going bald, too. It's the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast.
1: And that's nothing but pure and simple old-fashioned communism. Some French critics called it disgusting, repellent, a cultural Chernobyl. But when I was there, I was as happy as a little girl. That's right. That's my gift to you. Can't no one compel another man to engage in recreation. Certainly not a son of a gun as ill humored as you're saying. Winner of this week's Gulf Coast Golf Classic was Chai Chai Rotterguise. There's a rumor going around the circus that that dwarf and the elephant were lovers. I have roused with an alligator. I on tussled with a whale. I on handcuffed lightning, throw thunder in bed. That's bad. I'll make batteries to power. Before we start, I'd like to say something. There's no reason why you shouldn't have complete confidence in your chances to come out of this thing alive in one piece. From coast to coast, from border to border, from one end to the other, and all points in between, the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast is on.
0: Yes! That's
1: awesome! We crank up and break down the great guitar-driven rock of the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And you are invited to come along. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes, it's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. And now, your host, Jeremy Lunnon. Yeah, we don't know anything about that fellow there. Who is he? Where's he coming from? It's time for the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. Welcome
0: to the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy, and. This is a super exciting episode. I've been I've been talking about this for the last few weeks and we have a new co-host on the show, Mr. John Dimkey. John is our webmaster. You like that? I love that. Webmaster, but also is our new co-host. So this is our maiden voyage with John on board and I'm I'm really looking forward to it. So right off the bat, John, we're going to put you on the spot. Tell us a bit about you you know your your life history all of this in a you know in about 30 seconds i'll I'll give you the the rock version the rock version that's what we want yes um
2: i first fell in love with music when i was in uh i think i was about 10 years old Mm -hmm. and i started i had an am fm clock radio my grandmother bought me and it was mono and i would listen to that all the time so i was i'm really familiar with uh just regular top 40 radio so that's what i was basically raised on so i'm i you have a lot more depth in terms of rock kind of stuff i'm more of the pop kind of side so that's good though and i played musical instruments in elementary school middle school and uh in high school i decided i wanted to switch to bass guitar Mm -hmm. because there was an opening in the jazz band and i was like i am going to master this instrument and i got the first day of class and i couldn't play a note it was kind of (laughs) i couldn't even tune the thing but uh that was kind of like a, a trial by fire i uh Learned the instrument fairly well for one year, and then uh, things progressed. I bought mm-hmm. guitars and stuff like that. So I play guitar, and I play keys, and play bass. And,
0: and you're actually a music minor in college, right? Actually, I'm a music major. Music music major? Yes. I didn't know that was your major. This I was knew- my major. I, was, I minored in television. Okay. Yeah. All right. So obviously, I was excited to have John on board because of his technical skills also john and i played for gosh it's probably about five years yeah it was a long time four and a half five years playing the band together had a lot of fun john was the multi-instrumentalist he played guitar on some songs keyboards on some songs bass on some songs so he was a very handy person to have and very handy person to have here on the podcast i have to ask a question about your radio you said was it a little transistor radio or like a little desktop? It was like tech- a
2: little desktop AM, FM clock radio. Okay, gotcha. Okay. And this is the days before digital when you right. had that little flippy thing that would flip yeah. all yep. night long gotcha. and you'd hit a certain time of night and go. Yeah.
0: yeah, yep, that's it. Perfect.
2: But I think it had AM and FM and it had like, a, my brother would sometimes play tricks on me, so mm. he would come in and tweak the alarm for me to go off at like 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I love my brother.
0: That's good. That's what brothers are for. Well, one thing that's cool, you mentioned you kind of, grew up on top 40 and we've mentioned this a lot of the top 40 that you and I grew up with was really good I mean there was some really good and we call it classic rock now we talked about so for instance a couple of our episodes we've talked about 1980 you know and you talk about just a run-of-the-mill top 40 song from 1980 I mean we had we had blondie we had pat benatar we had the cars the cars that was top 40 mainstream top 40 but it was really good stuff and i know i sound like an old person when i say you yeah, know the stuff the kids listen to today is crap you know but there was a lot of really good stuff in the mid 70s to mid 80s i think on commercial top 40 radio
2: my perspective on that is like um it's but the difference between tape and digital, mm-hmm. I mean, everybody, everybody runs digital now. Nobody runs tape. It's too expensive. And right. so like back in the day, you, you didn't get more than one take on a, on a song. I mean, if you didn't get it, you would, uh, they would rewind it and do it over and yeah. They would never, I mean, piecing things together was like crazy, like, uh, like Mutt Lang did with those Def Leppard albums. Right. They spent years making those things and right. a lot of record companies don't, put up that kind of budget so you had, right. to, you had to get that part and you had to learn it and you had to play it and perform it well so and there was no auto tunes you had the singers actually had to sing right and if you played a wrong guitar no it stuck, it, was it stuck on i mean if you listen to a lot of like classic rock albums sometimes you'll hear these little errors that happen and you right. just, it kind of makes you realize that this is played live
0: that yeah of stuff. there's a, a cool interview clip with steven tyler i think it's on howard stern and he even he hasn't played the beginning of sweet emotion and, you know, you've heard sweet emotion a hundred times, but there's a little part. And he says, yeah, here's a part where I dropped my, I can't remember if it was a tambourine or Morocco or something. He was shaking something. He dropped his shaker. He said, here's the part where I dropped my shaker.' And sure enough, when you hear it now, it's obvious. So now every time I hear it, oh, that's where he dropped it. But you just think it's part of the song, but that was a mistake and right. they left it in there and that makes it kind of that- cool.
2: I think I heard a story about uh, "Give Me Shelter." Mm-hmm. So they're recording the Stones are recording in California, I think, and they brought the gal singer and I, her name is mm-hmm. Susan right now. But she starts singing, you know, yeah. and you can hear Mick in the background just excited. You can hear him like <laughs> vocalizing, going, yeah. like how awesome this sounds, you know. I mean, he's feeling it, and they just and, left it in and there. And it's on there. It, awesome. He might have been on the on the vocal track to begin with. They couldn't take it out anyway. Right.
0: That's that's. Awesome. But if you listen to that, and then sometimes you can hear that little. Right. Mick going off a little bit. And and we'll get into this, I'm sure, because this is an album I want to talk about. But, but like Dark Side of the Moon, again, everything pre-digital. This is 1973. They literally – the sound effects they used, they had to make. They had to find and, – and Alan Parsons actually was part of that. Part of Alan Parsons' job was we need recordings of clocks. So right. he's actually out recording clocks. So it's a very – labor intensive organic compared to to the digital world today and i think it shows right it just sounds more organic it sounds cooler you know when you hear an album like that versus a lot of the stuff today that's like the song money if you remember that song Mm -hmm. it's in five four Mm
2: -hmm. it's not a perfect time no so what they did is they recorded a section on like you know, quarter inch tape, and they put it from the the, the reel to reel, and they ran around a mic mic yeah, stand. I heard that like it looped cr- it
0: right around a mic stand, so
2: they got it as close as they could to being a perfect, you know, 54 But if you if you put it on like a like a digital um, timeline, it's a little short. Yeah, that's funny. So I mean, that's as
0: perfect as they could. Get yeah, it. and but that's the magic. You know, that's the magic of of that stuff. So super excited, John, to have you. We're already well, thank you. We're already going down this road. I love it, nerding out. Which is great. I want to give you a plug since since John is here. I want to plug the website, classicguitarrock.com. Check it out. And it, first of all, it looks amazing. It looks great. There's a lot of cool stuff there. You can subscribe to the uh, newsletter and, and just really cool stuff. Obviously, you can find the episodes there. But there's also links to our low budget YouTube channel. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. It's right there at the website. And,
2: and if you're interested in like the episodes, you can listen to them on Spotify and a- a- Apple. Yeah, anywhere. Yeah. Bunch of places. But if you go to the website, you can see there, I've added some extra content, maybe a video that was right. talking about, you know, what, what, what's being talked about. There might be a video of that. Awesome. So if you check that stuff out, you can get a little more like background on what we're talking yeah. about.
0: It's, it's cool. So let's, let's introduce our topic first before we uh, take a quick break. We're going to talk about supergroups today. And it's exciting. It is exciting. We, we, this is an, an idea that John had actually a few months ago for a, a show idea. And I thought that is awesome. Let's talk about that. So before we go to break, let's define what is a supergroup? How would you define a supergroup? Well,
2: I'm going to kind of. Depart from supergroup a little bit. So, okay. so sometimes you have a band that's like a headliner. Like right. You have a headliner that's made some tunes. He goes out, he hires a bunch of musicians, he goes out on tour. That's not a supergroup. To me, it's meaning that individual members of the band have had individual success.
0: Okay. And that's pretty much exactly how I thought. I thought a supergroup is people who've been successful and then they're brought together. Absolutely, right? I agree. And and there's also a term. Let's just talk about this term too. Usually thrown out negative, people will talk about corporate rock, right? Yeah. Now a corporate rock band doesn't necessarily have to be a supergroup. And to be honest, some of my favorite bands are considered corporate rock. So I'm not saying corporate rock is a bad thing. And even that's kind of a misnomer because very rarely can a record company assemble a band and and it works. Right. I can't think of one. I, I can't really either. But but they'll throw bands like Foreigner and Journey and call that corporate rock. And I guess they just do that because they make a lot of money. Right. I don't know. Bon
2: Jovi, would that be corporate rock? I don't know. They make a lot of money. Yeah, I don't I don't know.
0: But I, I like and, a lot of that and stuff. And more power to them, I guess. Yeah, uh, absolutely. All right, so when we come back, we're going to dig in. We're each going to share some of our – 10 favorite is that the right word 10 the 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 first 10 super groups that we think of I'm thinking
2: to me it's like super groups that are notable to me
0: uh, that, made, that made an impact in yeah, and, my listening and hopefully our list will be different I'm sure we don't know what's on each other's list uh, I'm sure some of the same groups will be there but that'll be the fun is when we you know talk about these and argue back and forth and start throwing the insults around that's when it gets really Let's good do it. alright that's all coming up on the classic guitar rock podcast attention if you live in spokane washington and have teeth this message is for you braun and jarvis family dentistry knows teeth
1: incisors bicuspids canines molars no tooth is too big or too small i was delighted and impressed so impressed i bought the company with braun and jarvis
0: you'll have the sweetest grill in the inland northwest and let's be honest nobody wants a funky grill braun and jarvis family dentistry 509-464-2391 that's 509-464-2391 braun and jarvis family dentistry quality dentistry that doesn't suck
1: all the classic rock you can stomach it's the classic guitar rock podcast
0: welcome back to the classic guitar rock podcast jeremy and john here and today we are talking about supergroups indeed So we gave you our definition of supergroups before the break. Supergroups are groups that are made up of musicians that have kind of were established and already had their own careers. There's a number of bands that we could talk about that we usually don't call them supergroups, but they do include members that have had careers on i i think of the eagles right the eagles brought in joe walsh joe walsh was a very successful solo artist when they brought him in the james gang yeah great james stuff. gang was great but we don't really call them a super group we call them corporate rock don't we i
2: think they would probably yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. but anyway so there the, we'll we'll talk about some of those as well so we're gonna start with john and john you kind of share with us, okay, your list of supergroups. I wish we had a drum roll here, and that'd be great. We can we can add one through the magic of tape delay. So I don't know how classic rock this is. That's
2: all right, but it's still my take. Uh, my number ten pick is Audio Slave. Audio Slave. Wow. Audio Slave had Chris Cornell, notable mention. He passed a couple years ago. I was kind of sad about that. Yeah. but he was in uh, Soundgarden and Temple of the Dog. Yep. And also Tom Morello. Yes. Rage Against the Machine. Those those guys when they got together, they had a, like a power to them. It's kind of that um you know, protest rock, I mm-hmm. guess if you could mm-hmm. consider that. And uh I just loved the kind of vein that they went into. It was just it was so different than the other stuff we were hearing at the
0: time. Right. Awesome. I I love Chris Cornell. I do. Oh. I think he's awesome. I've never been that big a fan of Tom Morello. I mean his style is just I mean he's obviously a talented guy. I just never have gotten into Rage Against the Machine or I guess you
2: know you know he's kind of like that like I don't know fourth wave of guitar. You know like you had like the 50s, you exactly. had the 60s, and you had Van Halen in the 70s. Kind of that kind of filled up the 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 80s was that, you know, shredder kind of thing. Right. And then Kurt Cobain comes in and says we're going to put folk music to a rock backbeat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the world changed, you yeah. know. And I think he was kind of that latter end of that and fourth wave of
0: guitar guys. He's a, he's a noise guy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he does some wild things with, you know, noise. Yeah. He plays the pickup or the, yeah. the jack. You yeah. Know? He does crazy he's, things with
2: the chord. He was a um, big proponent of that Digitech whammy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Do a, some crazy f- stuff. You know, that yeah. – I saw that pedal when it first came out oh thirty years ago and I was like, oh this is horrible. But
0: <laughs> Yeah. He, he yeah, he used the crap out of that. Okay, who else is on your list? Oh, you're not going next? Oh, you want me to go next? Oh, okay, yeah, okay. Used, so we might line up. My number 10. Okay. And I don't I don't want to Okay, I'm just gonna say my number 10. My number 10 is GTR. Do you remember GTR? GTR I, I had their cassette. Yeah, GTR. Was Steve Hackett from Genesis, Steve Steve Howe from Asia, and yes, uh, Max Bacon was a singer. Yeah, they were. I think so. I think think they could be considered corporate rock. Well, they were corporate rock for sure, but here's the problem. There's only two good songs on that whole album. There's only two good songs. It blows. I mean, it really does. I mean, for the people that – the potential, you know, because I like Steve Howe, I like Genesis, I like Steve Hackett, but it just – it's boring. I think
2: it had the majority of the tracks had kind of um an eighties sound to them, if right. I could put it in a negative way. It, for sure. It was, it was very polished for the eighties. Yes, know? absolutely. And you had those monsters of guitar.
0: Yeah. You know? And and yeah, it was just kind of disappointing. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Okay, who's next on your list?
2: My number nine, which is probably not much of a departure, is Temple of the Dog. Temple of the Dog. Mm-hmm. I love that uh, that get together. I mean, this was kind of like like the advent of grunge when this band came out, which mm-hmm. was Chris Cornell from Soundgarden, Stone Gossard from Pearl Jam, right? Jeff Emmett from Pearl Jam, uh, Matt Cameron from Soundgarden, Eddie Vedder and Mike McCready. So it was yeah. this basically two Seattle bands getting together and made it an album. Yeah, and I think it was for a purpose too. There was a charity, I think they went and along that
0: with it. was ninety four ish. Yeah, somewhere in I don't remember the year. I should should pull it up on Wikipedia. Yeah, so what I've heard of Temple of the Dog, I like, right? Mm -hmm. And and to be honest, I was never a huge grunge guy. Uh, uh, Stone Temple Pilots, I I dug that. I I, I was never a huge Pearl Jam fan for whatever reason, but I liked Mm -hmm. Temple of the Dog when I heard that. I did like that. That was cool.
2: I'm not a huge Pearl Jam fan, but I was more of the... The hits. Right. I like the hits. Right. And I'm not the deep tracks kind of guy for Pearl Jam. Your number nine is? My number nine,
0: this is late 80s. This is Bad English. Ooh. Yeah. So Bad English gave us Neil Sean of Journey, Jonathan Cain from Journey, and the Babies. And then John Waite, who had played with Jonathan Cain in the Babies. And then some other guys I don't remember. But... (sighs) They had a. They had one good album. What were the songs? Forget me not was one of the songs. They had a ballad when I see you smile. So a lot of talent, a lot of potential, but again, hard for me to listen to the whole album. Yeah, hard for me to listen to the whole album. It wasn't bad. It just it didn't it didn't catch me right. There, the the hits were okay, but again. Yeah, I mean, not super exciting. Okay, gotcha. you're next. Uh, my
2: next is probably the biggest, most like heavy hitting of my take on, on the uh, super group, which is the Traveling Wilburys.
1: Oh,
0: wow. I didn't even think of them. That's yeah. a good one. That's so, a good one. If you
2: can recall, there was George Harrison, mm-hmm. Bob Dylan, Tom Petty, Jeff Lynne, Ray <laughs> Orbison. Wow. And, you know... Roy Orbison at the time, you know, I was pretty young and mm-hmm. I was listening to him. I was like, "Boy, that guy can really sing, like it's, a like a bird." Yeah. yeah, it was almost like beautiful, but mm-hmm. in a rock kind of way. And I was like, "This guy's strange looking. You know, yeah, dark glasses, <laughs> yeah. and he's old, and he's got jet black hair." But yeah, it's like, man, he can really sing. But yeah, I I just loved hearing. George Harrison's voice, right. you know, in the Beatles, he didn't get much chance to shine. But I thought his voice sounded so like English. You yeah, know, he just sounded like you know he he'd been in England for a
0: very long time. And that's good. I didn't even think of them that, because that's a huge one. They they would be on my list had I thought of them. I, so.
2: I, I can remember listening to the tracks and you like you'd hear uh, you'd point out, oh, that's Bob Dylan or this right. is you know that kind and of And
0: they mixed it up. Okay, yeah, Tom Petty would sing a song, and there were two albums, right? Weren't there two uh, albums? Th-
2: yeah, I think there might have been two. Uh, yeah, and they, I think the one—the first one was a hit. I think it won oh, Grammys yeah, too.
0: Oh, that there was there was like into the line. There was I can't remember all the hits. There was three or four. Then mm-hmm. there was that Monkey Man song too, where mm-hmm. where it's Petty and Dylan singing. But but yeah, it's a that's a I didn't even think of them because I would have totally added them. Okay, so my turn number eight for you is <laughs> Blind Faith. Oh, which was way back That's in way the '60s. Back. So this is, this is Clapton left Cream. He gets together with Steve Winwood. Again, this is one of those bands that the promise is bigger than what they actually delivered. Right. <laughs> but I was excited about. That. And by the way, could you? I don't. They're not on my list. I don't think they're on yours. But would you consider Cream? He's that band is on my list, oh it, oh it's so never mind, I, I won't say no, anything else. take him out okay, no, you don't have to take him out, so okay, so I have blind Faith is next on on my list uh what's his name uh the the keyboard player Steve Winwood Steve Winwood. Mm-hmm.
2: I just love his like b three work, so oh, that, that hammond uh yeah. oh, he had a mastery of that too,
0: and you know he's known for his keyboard playing, but what a lot of people don't realize is. Gimme some lovin', right? Spencer Davis group. Right, right. That's Steve Winwood and he's like fifteen years old. Really? It's unbelievable. He, yeah. He's just an a kid. Incredibly talented guy. Yeah. Very much and he he's an excellent guitar player too. Yeah. Yeah. He's phenomenal. Whose turn is it? I think it's my turn. It's your turn.
2: My number seven is Mike and the mechanics. <sighs> Did you have that one?
0: No, I don't. That's You're picking awesome. all the good ones, man. <laughs> so That's that, an awesome. one. So,
2: that had Mike Rutherford from Genesis. He's a guitar player, right? He's big, a guitar s- player and bass player. Yeah, yeah depending big, on. He's kind of like you. The big, tall, skinny guy. Yeah, he's kind of
0: like you yeah. were in our band. He played whatever he needed to. Yeah.
2: And it had Paul Young in it at some point mm-hmm. and Paul Carrick in it at some point. So, you had Squeeze and, uh, you know, Paul Young. In I
0: it. had forgot about the Paul Young angle. But, yeah. And Paul Carrick, of course, also from Ace. How long has this been going? So, yeah, he was an established guy and, of course, Tempted. The The best squeeze oh. song is Paul Carrick. Right on. Yeah. Right? And his solo stuff. You know, he had a lot of solo stuff, too, that was Paul awesome. Paul Carrick's super talented, too. He's, he's really good. Yeah. The good one. Good one. Okay. My next one is... Your number seven? Is this where... I'm glad you're keeping track. Yep. Okay. So my number seven is... This might be on your list.
2: Okay. Let's see. The
0: Firm. It is... Okay, The Firm. And The Firm also, two or three really good songs. Two or three really good songs. Yeah. But again, a lot of it's dreck, right? Yeah. It's it's hard to listen. It's just not that good. So I, I think the story at the time was
2: that Paul Rogers wanted to kind of help out Jimmy Page. This is I've heard mm-hmm. it from a YouTube video I saw, but basically that Jimmy Page had kind of given up on music and stuff on life because, you know, after the death of John Bonham, he just kind of didn't have a place to go anymore. Right. So he basically made this group. So, you know, if you listen to the songs, when you hear his guitar playing, Mm -hmm. it is almost like he's on heroin when he's playing. (laughs) Well, he he could have been. Yeah. You hear those (laughs) – because some of those guitar parts, it sounds like he's not playing in the same time signature as the
0: rest of the band. It works, but it's just like – Right, he's not on the beat. Yeah, and and here's—I don't want to go on too much of a tangent, but in our earlier episode when we talked about Led Zeppelin too, we made the case that you know Jimmy Page is held up as this heavy metal guitar icon, but when you really go back and listen to his guitar tones and the things he did, he was not his guitar. His Telecaster sounds. He had some guitar sounds that were nasty. I mean intentionally so that's what he meant mm-hmm. these very tinny high crazy they do not they do not sound like what we think of as heavy metal guitar at the time you know like a tony iommi or a ritchie blackmore right. his were very but 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 varied right tony iommi sounds the same on every single song oh, right jimmy page not that way he would experiment with these wacky sounds and and in the the firm you hear some of that too and this maybe that's what you're talking about is He's like on a different wavelength. Like the of but Paul Rogers is one of my all-time favorite vocalists ever. Great, he's great. Yeah, and he'll show up on my list in a minute.
2: So is it my turn? You, Number six for me?
0: Yes. Okay, I might be stealing this one from you too. It's okay. Um, Toto. Okay, I love Toto. They're not on my list. They're not on your list. I'm just, I'm just convince me this is a super group. Okay,
2: Steve Lukather. Right. David Page, yeah, Steve Picaro, Jeff Picaro, Mike Picaro, yeah, Greg Fillings he's the yeah. uh, keyboard player.
0: Okay, um, they're all they're all phenomenal. And Luther has played on more records than anyone, anybody, right? Yeah,
2: and they were as, as far as I understood it, they were the recording band for Michael Jackson. Yep, they did all those tracks. They did like. You know, Thriller was all their work.
0: And and when you think of, you know, everyone thinks of Eddie Van Halen on Beat It. All Eddie Van Halen plays on Beat It is the guitar solo. The rest is Steve Lucas. It's Toto, right? Yeah, you're right. I never really thought of them as a super group. They did do the soundtrack for the Dune movie in 1985, which is terrible.
1: Oh, yes. The the
0: soundtrack's not so terrible. I have a a
2: place in my heart for that David Lynch monstrosity. I
0: I love Dune. And have you seen the new Dune? It's just starting on HBO now. I haven't seen any episodes. We have HBO, but I'm waiting. Okay. I I might come over to your house so I can watch it.
2: I I like the theater because you cannot be interrupted without somebody throwing something at you. you Yeah, So that's the kind of, I want to see it with my, take my kids out and see it.
0: Yeah. To, I hadn't really thought of them in the context of a super group, but when you, when you put it that way, you know, I can see that. And not just Michael Jackson, right? There were members of Toto that were playing in Steely Dan. Steely Dan. Well, I'm not going to say it. Never nope. mind. I'll wait. Okay. Okay. That's my number six. Is it really? Yep. Okay. Because Steely Dan's on my list too. So no, Steely Dan is not on Toto. is. Toto is number okay. six. Okay. So. Act number six is Steely Dan. There you go. And Steely Dan, again, I'm, I'm twisting a little to call okay. them a supergroup.
2: So I'm going to call you on this. Why okay. are they a supergroup and Toto is not? Because well, it's, it's a bunch of studio musicians it that is, got together.
0: It is studio musicians. And part of it is, okay, so I I don't know. I can't justify it. So it's unjustifiable. <laughs> but but it. the same type of thing, Right. Skunk Jeff Skunk Baxter, who was in the Doobies, Michael McDonald, yeah, who was in the Doobies. They would bring guys on just on tracks, and they would bring they would, they would try out
2: guitar players yeah. and give them like, you got,
0: yeah, play a solo on this, play you know? a solo on this, and if it
2: didn't work, they'd bring in the next guy. Yeah, you know, it was, yeah. it was kind and of it, like a badge of honor it, if you if you were if you were actually on a
0: recorded track of them. Yeah, totally. And uh, it's funny. There's a documentary I watched about the Asia album. AJA I think it's pronounced Asia. Yeah, I think so too. And they talk about that and they even would play Oh, well, here's Mike Landau's solo on Reeling in the Years. Well, they didn't use that. Here's what he played and it, it sounds awesome. But here's the one we wound up using, Elliot Randall's solo, blah blah blah, you know, and it's but they play you all and it's like that's just unbelievable. And of course they'd always have these phenomenal bass players and drummers, you know. So, yeah. That, that and that's why I have them. But yeah, I guitar or did uh purdy is it what's his name purdy the purdy shuffle yeah, yeah. The, Uh i can't remember his first name but he played bernard purdy I bernard i think you're right and but he played with them and right? he was a total field drummer
2: so it was just kind of yeah. like okay and,
0: and the one bass player gosh you can't remember his name but he could play the, you know thumb the popping and slapping and all of this and uh Fagan said, "No, we we don't want you to play that way." He says, "Okay, I want." So he just turned his back, and he was still playing that way. And they never knew the difference. But, anyways, that's a funny story. But yeah, Steely Dan. Again, it's not fair for me to say Steely Dan and then not you, not let you have Toto. By the way, some of the members of Toto played with Steely Dan Indeed. too. So, what would it be like to be an 18 year old kid like Steve Lukather? And go play with Boz Skaggs or Steely Dan in ses- oh. as a session guy. He was doing that when he was 18, 19 years old.
2: There's a, there's a lot of tales of those young players. Like uh, didn't Neil Schoen play with Santana? Neil when Sean was super- 15
0: or 16 and had an offer from Clapton to join oh. Clapton's band. So where are we at now? We're number, number five. Okay, your turn. My number five pick is Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. Wow. They're more 60s, but... Uh- I, I, again, didn't even think of them. Awesome. Okay, why? Well,
2: they've all had talent, or, or they've all had you know, success in their own bit. I mean, when they brought Neil Young, I thought that was a strange thing to yeah. do. Yeah, because he's—I mean, those guys were hippies, you
0: know. Yeah, he's—he's
2: yeah. he's a real hippie, you know. He, yeah, there's a—he's there's a, like a new level of
0: hippie. Yeah, I'm trying to think the the uh, s- sweet. Judy, Judy Blue Eye yeah. is that is that Crosby Stills Nash and Young or is that just Crosby Stills and Nash? I should know that. But oh I can't man, remember. that's a good one. No, that's a great that's a great pick. Graham Nash had been in the Hollies and, and the Birds. S- Stephen Stills was in Buffalo Springfield, Springfield, right? And and David Crosby, I can't remember where was he from. The Bur- I don't remember. I don't know. We should we should have checked all this before we started, but too late. Two old Mike's guys. Are, Mike's are rolling. Okay, so too bad. Correct us. Send us an email, classicguitarrocketmail.com and, and correct us. Subscribe to our newsletter. Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay, so my number five, this is a weird one, the Honey Drippers. Oh, that had Robert Plant. Robert Plant. I think Jeff Beck might have been a part of yeah. it. Yeah. And the thing that was interesting about it was... There were no personalities associated with the Honey Drippers, right? right? By design, is they they made all these remakes of old '50s songs, right. and I think it was a vehicle. I think it was just an outlet for you know a Robert Plant, a Jeff Beck, who loved this music to get together and make this. You know, so Sea of Love. Yeah, that that song was. A strange top forty. Hit. Strange because it was it was not a modern. It was a traditional like forties fifties yeah. big band that version. Was, that
2: that felt awkward. It on was radio. awkward.
0: It did totally, totally. But it's like it's like hearing achy breaky heart on a exactly. Pop stage. <laughs> why is why are we playing this? Yeah, and and actually when I worked in uh, radio in Oklahoma, they were playing achy breaky heart on top forty radio.
2: Oh, <laughs> I wanted to throw my radio out that that was the terrible. car window. It's the <laughs>
0: worst. All right. Okay. So.
2: We're up to four. Up to You're four. number four. And we've already talked a little bit about it, but it's cream. Okay. Awesome. Um, Eric Clapton, Jack Bruce, and Ginger
0: Baker. Yeah. And, and Clapton had been, obviously, with John Mayall and was very, very successful there. Now, I think Jack Bruce and Ginger Baker... And the Yardbirds, too. And and the, Oh, and the Yardbirds. Oh, I can't forget that. And the Yardbirds. And I, and I think Ginger and Jack... There was this band called the Graham Bond Organization. I'm getting this wrong. Way back in the 60s that that was like a revolving door. And so many of those 60s guys went through the Graham Bond Organization, you know, and I and I believe Jack and Ginger both did. And they famously hated each other oh yeah oh ginger I guess was, I saw Ginger's a, a miserable human being yeah he died <laughs> a couple <of> years
2: ago <laughs> yeah. but man he's talented and i think he he lived in
0: africa yeah he went to africa but he and jack just hated i don't each think other. he got along with very many people. he didn't get and he's just a i mean he's just a mean he's a grumpy old man yeah. i mean he was a grumpy old man when he was right. young yeah. right but yeah great drummer and it is cool to see that it was in the what late nineties when they got together and did the shows at Carnegie Hall. They right. got together and it's they still can play. You know, it's yeah. awesome. Jack Bruce has passed away too. They got together with Gary Moore again, I think in the nineties, and it was Ginger, Jack, and Gary Moore. And that's really good, but the same thing, you right. know. Gary Moore can't get along with anyone either, so they're all fighting. It was it, it was a mess.
2: So but. the interesting thing I thought about Cream was that they would do dual vocals. You know, I, I think "Sunshine of Your Love" they trade verses. Yeah, they yep. trade lines. I guess not, but they they, trade, they yeah. trade lines and and at first I couldn't hear the difference between them. Maybe maybe it was the same. You're using the same microphone through the same preamps through the same mixing console through mm-hmm. the same tapes. I couldn't tell them apart, but. Right. Now when I listen to them, there's a, there's a little bit of a difference between them,
0: and and they're both the power trio, right? They're the first power. Well, Hendrix was a power trio, but but they all overplay so much, but in uh, a cool way. They, I mean, they, there's no open just, spaces. There's no, no, they rest. fill every space. In fact, Clapton is the least busy of them all. You right. know, between Baker and Jack Bruce, they're just all over the place, but uh, it's in a cool way. Yeah. Okay, so number four, let me look at my list here. One, did I mention the firm or did you mention the firm? I well, you mentioned the I firm. mentioned the firm, but they're on your list. They're right? on my list, too. Okay, so I my next one is, I might have an extra one here. I'm going to mention it, and if it doesn't line up, we can. Uh, this was an interesting little experiment. Okay. Queen plus Paul Rogers. Oh, yeah. That was, that was weird. It was weird. But can you imagine
2: like fronting that band? Oh, and 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 I don't and, think I mean, no matter who you are, you could you know, you are not going to be a Freddie Mercury.
0: Well, and and they're and they're both great, but their styles are completely different. However, remember, I Want It All, the Queen song, I Want It All, right? Paul Rogers kills on that song, but it's the other stuff that it's and and he sings great, it's just so different. But it's cool to see them live because they'll play free and bad company songs too and he'll sing those. So it's kind of cool to see it, but just interesting. I'm a I'm a huge I'm a huge Queen fan, I'm a huge Paul Rogers fan. That was a quirky little mix and you see why it didn't last very long.
2: Right, you know, yeah. So I mean, I think they were a one and done kind of tour yeah. thing. They were not going to make it a Exactly.
0: The, the the new Queen. All right, so who's next on yours? Mine is an
2: 80s powerhouse of a supergroup. It is the power station, dude. Good one that had Robert Palmer and it had uh John Taylor and Andy Taylor from Duran Duran and Tony Thompson from the band Chic. Chic. Yeah, that, that was awesome.
0: Bang a gong. What was the one? Sun Like It Hot, bang a yeah. gong.
2: And there, I mean, in that band when on, that, on Sun Like It Hot, yeah, there's a lot of space in there.
0: There is a lot of space. It's a groove, right? It's a groove, it's right? a groove. It's and it's cool it's that's another one of those where it was interesting because i was in i was in high school and all my friends were metalheads but we all like that right and there's this whole you know Andy Taylor at heart was a rocker right and here he's playing right. in Duran Duran and he's got to play all this funky stuff yep and so we always liked how he'd throwing these Randy Rhodes sounding licks on the power station stuff. And it was cool. And Robert Palmer's cool, but you got a funky rhythm section. And John Taylor is a very underrated bass player. The He's guy is a phenomenal bass He's player. Very good. Yeah. Very good. Uh I like that one. That's a good pick. I wish I would have thought of them. Okay. My next one is from the late eighties. Damn Yankees. Oh. Damn Yankees. We have Jack Blades from Night Ranger, Tommy Shaw from Sticks, Ted Nugent. And their album was – you could listen to the whole album. It's a good album, right? It was interesting. It was an interesting – it was interesting to put Nugent in a situation where he had to shut up,
2: right? Yeah, that's that's like a first for him.
0: I know, exactly, because obviously he's the Motor City Madman. He's got a big mouth. He won't shut up, right? And that's just – He's alienating he, to a lot of people. He's a front man, right? He's a front man, exactly. But Tommy Shaw comes in. And- Tommy Shaw and Jack Blades, who are both front men, also and right. both phenomenal singers. And Ted's not a great singer, right? Uh, no, the, his best songs feature Derek St. Holmes singing, but it was it worked. I think it was it, it worked, and you can find videos from like 1990 where they're playing live, and and it does work. And even in that context, you're like, Ted, dude, shut up. You know, just because he's that's just his shtick, right? But he is a really good guitar player. He's a real and he's a he bridges the gap. You know, he started out in the late sixties and so he he's not an eighties shredder guy, but he's like the he's like a combination. He gets shreddy enough that it's cool, but he's also very, you know, bluesy based. And and plays really good. He's a great he's a great player. Tommy Shaw's no slouch as a guitar Tommy Shaw's player no either. Slouch. He's um, phenomenal,
2: phenomenal, actually. Yeah,
0: but but the vocal to me, the vocal, the Jack Blades and the Tommy Shaw, the vocals are what made it so cool. But I have them next. Would you call case. them corporate rock? I think, I Probably. think they would be. I mean, I don't know. What's the difference? I mean, uh, is it is it does the record company say, hey, we have this idea. Why don't you guys get together? Or is it more organic that they actually call each other up and say, let's do this? I don't know. I, th- I think if the record company makes an announcement that they're going
2: to do a record. <laughs> yeah, that
0: might be quite <laughs> not, not like, not like yeah.
2: the manager of a, of a struggling band is trying to sell it, you know. Yeah. All right. So where are we at now? We're at number two. Number two. At number two, I have The Firm, which we've kind of talked about already. Okay. All right. Um, Tony Franklin from Whitesnake, Jimmy Page, and Paul Rogers again. From wow. California.
0: Yeah. What did I say about them? I said it was kind of boring. Yeah, they had two songs. Yeah. 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 All the King's Horses, right? All the King's Horses. Uh, and then Radioactive. Right. Those were the hits. Okay. And those are good songs. I like the, them. And
2: the video for um, the first one was just like, it was like a ninja thing. It was cool. I mean, if you're...
0: <laughs> Like a 12-year-old watching MTV, like, oh, ninjas, you know? Yeah. Okay, so I think I know who your number one is going to be. I could be wrong. I think your number one might be my number two. I think – I have no idea what your number one is. Okay. My number – is it my turn for number two? Your turn for number two. I have Asia. Okay, that's all right. So Asia (laughs) – And Asia is my number one. Okay, that's all right. So we'll just wrap it up. Uh, So Asia is of all the – super groups they're the superest <laughs> i don't know, <laughs> I don't know. I, it's not. debatable I,
2: right. I i put them at number one because i think they're super yeah they had some actually
0: some talent Yep, and they had some longevity and that's some hits yeah and and the first album really that first asia album i can listen to the whole album and i like every song right the second album is not as good and then by the third album you know it's it's going now interestingly enough Steve Howe has gone, gone back and forth. He'll go back and play with Yes. He did the GTR thing. He'll come back and play with Asia. John Wetton died in 2016, but there's stuff. Jeff Downs, right? Jeff Downs was in Yes. He was in the Buggles. He's an important person. There's albums that they were doing as late as like 2012, 2015 that are really, really good. That album Gravitas that came out in like 2014, 2000, It's re- a really oh. good album.
2: I mean, I really loved John Wetton's vocals. He's, a, he's oh one of my, my favorites. Gosh. I mean, yeah. when he when he passed, I was like, oh, yeah. I
0: don't get to hear that. Yeah. You know? So uh, in two thousand sixteen, I saw here in Spokane. I saw Journey. Oh yeah. And Asia was opening, and John Wetton literally died like three weeks before that oh. show, and I thought, oh crap, Asia won't be playing. But no, they played. Who sang that? Billy Sherwood, who was in okay. one of the incarnations of Yes, sang. And to be honest, people that weren't diehard Asia fans probably didn't even realize it wasn't John Wett, because he sounded, you know, sounded like he played bass, you know. Uh but yeah, I was sad. And and the guitar player they had at the time, can't remember his name. He was like a 20-year-old kid, but he did a great job. I mean, it was good. You got Carl Palmer, you got Jeff Downs. And then Billy Sherwood, but it was sad because John Wetton was awesome. John Wetton, of course, was in King Crimson. Yeah, he was in a group called UK. He was in Wishbone Ash for on one or two albums. I think he might have even been in Uriah Heep at one point. So he was a guy that played for lots of people. Carl Palmer, of course, from ELP, and we talked about Jeff Downs. But yeah, they're my number two, and you're number one. My number one. So, and your number one is? My number one is going to throw you. Most people never heard of them and maybe it's not fair because they never made an album. Okay. Is that fair? Can I use them if they've never made an album? Let's hear it. So, there's a group called Big People. Big People consisted of, of sadly, okay, Ben Orr from the Cars, Pat Travers, Jeff Carlisi from 38 Special, okay. Liberty DeVito from Billy Joel's band. Oh, and Derek St. Holmes, who was with Ted Nugent, the singer from Ted Nugent. So you get all these guys together. They played out at the uh, hot rod run out in Post Falls, Idaho. Post Falls is a little town 30 miles from where John and I live that every year they'd have this what they call the River City Rod Run. And if you wanted to go see old washed up bands, you'd go out there. I mean, I saw Loverboy three years in a row out there. And, and you know what? Loverboy still sounds great. Does he fit into those red leather pants? No, no, he has, he's, well, he's got the, the stretchable top on him now, the expandable (laughs) top, but they still sound great. But anyways, this group, big people was awesome. I mean, because think about the catalog. They're playing Ted Nugent songs. They're playing 38 special songs. They're playing cars songs. They're playing Pat Travers songs. It was cool. They, their plan was to do an album, but Ben or dot died of cancer. Uh, There is one concert on YouTube that you can watch. Just Google it. Big people. And it's pretty cool. I mean, the band had a lot of talent, And could have. What I didn't know is Pat Travers is an awesome keyboard player. He plays. He he, he plays keyboards, and of course, he's known as a guitar player. But he's playing a lot of keyboards on this show. But you know, you got Ben Orr singing, you got Derek St Holmes singing. It's it's it was really good. So, and again, that's maybe not fair for me to pick because they never really recorded. But for just sheer star power, I thought they were awesome. So cool. Okay, now John, what I want to do when we come back. Let's answer this question. Okay. Do supergroups live up to the title
2: supergroup? We'll answer that. We'll
0: answer that when we come back. Stay put.
1: We're bad. I'm nationwide. We're nationwide. The Classic Guitar Rock Podcast.
0: Welcome back to the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. I'm Jeremy Lennon here with John Dimkey, and our topic for today is supergroups. We listed our our ten supergroups, and I want to throw something out at you. This I know. This I didn't. I didn't tell you I'd say. this. So this is let's, a surprise. Let's do okay, so they're not really a supergroup, but you got it. Got me thinking about. Uh, White Snake. So in 1987, this album, this is the album that broke them in the U.S. That uh, you know, White Snake album was huge, massive oh, album. It was,
2: it was. They played that song for a year. Yeah, you had it was you couldn't get away from yeah, it on the here, radio. Here I go again with Tony Katan rolling around oh, on the yeah. jaguars. Yeah, I'm all, like, yeah. I'm like that, get off the
0: paint in the still of the night. What was the other one? There are at least three, three big, massive songs. That's that was a multi-platinum album. It was huge. What does Coverdale do? He fired everyone. He hires. We talk about this in our episode on MTV. He 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 basically fires the White Snake Band, hires a bunch of new guys. He hires Adrian Vandenberg, Rudy Sarzo, who had been with Ozzy and Quiet Riot, Tommy Aldridge, who had been with Ozzy, Vivian Campbell, who had been with Dio. And the common denominator is, these guys were all good looking, video oh. friendly, right? So at the time there was there was a lot of these blonde kind
2: of more technical bands, right? You had White Snake, yeah. You had White Lion, White Lion, yeah. And you had Great White, Great White, yeah. And sometimes they would like, I mean, they were you know, very poppy metal, right? Very poppy metal, but they kind of blended together. You know, there's a new White Snake, song, yeah. There's a new yeah.
0: Great White song. There. And 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 it was just funny that – I don't know if you could call them a super group, but, but Coverdale intentionally assembled all these heavy hitters. And what a lot of people don't realize is none of those guys had even met until they got together to film the video right. for Here I Go Again or When It's Love or whichever – which one has Tawny Contain rolling around? That's the first one, yeah. Is it When It's Love? Was no, that, no. It was, is it Love? Here I Go Again. Okay, that one. So anyways, oh. they didn't even play on that album. Okay. The album was John Sykes. It was the Neil Murray. It was the old ugly white snake band. So uh, John, John Sykes is a good looking guy. He wasn't an ugly guy, but, but, but we, we made that point on the MTV episode. If you see white snake from the early eighties, you know, slide it in and all that stuff earlier. And you see the band, they're not a good looking band. I mean, that's
2: that's the they're ugly guys. That's the ugly underside of the music <laughs> yeah, industry. Exactly. There's a lot of ugly guys that play really well, right? But you don't want to put them on MTV,
0: and, and that's the problem. And yeah. and we made that case about Christopher Cross, right? Christopher Cross, oh, who in 1980 man, yeah. won six Grammys, one of the most talented guys ever. But he looks like your next door neighbor, little chubby guy, chubby going guy. Bald. Yeah, Where's he it? had no future once video came. No, nope. and that's sad because he's super talented. And there were lots of guys that fit into that. But anyways, I just wanted to throw and, that out about Paul. Wilson. Williams White too, P. Paul Williams. He did get a part on Planet of the Apes, though. Oh, he did, didn't he? That's right. Uh, Paul Williams, who wrote songs for the Carpenters, for oh. he wrote so many songs that were hits. But you're right. So we're we're looking out for the ugly guy because we're ugly guys. Oh right? yeah,
1: true, totally.
2: <laughs> so the podcast is going to stop. Su- There's a video podcast. Yeah, once is the
0: video ca- podcast comes out, yeah. So all right, so we left with this question have super groups lived up to the title super what say you
2: i would say on average no okay i think um, I, I think well the way the record company or the record industry works is you have to have something to sell and what they call something to sell is an album right so it's 12 tracks that you agree uh, to give to the record company and they give you some money and then you go on tour and they pay for part of the tour and you the, that's the idea. You as a band are selling a piece of content. Mm-hmm. Right? So if music is a product, right? So the, the only numbers that really matter are the billboard numbers and the sales mm-hmm. numbers. Mm-hmm. And I think on average, supergroups don't really pay. I mean, I think the record companies maybe look for it for some kind of, You know, like awards they might win or some kind of prestige that these uh, talents, the talent's going to give them.
0: I don't think they make a lot of money. Yeah. And that could very well be. And I, I agree. My answer would be the same with exceptions. I mean, I think that first Asia album is a good album all the way through. But for the most part, the super groups that we talk about, there might be one or two good songs. And then the rest is just kind of filler. Right. And, and, and the very thing that makes supergroups is what destroys supergroups, right? You bring all these existing talents together who, let's be honest, probably have big egos, many of them,
2: and want a lot of money,
0: and want a lot of money. And you bring them together and, and you're almost setting it up to not last very long for one, maybe one album, maybe two. But the very nature of a supergroup, because these are all established people who are used to having their way and making their money, kind of set up to fail from the beginning. But that being said, if you have one hit, yeah,
2: one hit that lasts a little bit, you're set for life. Yeah, depending on the contract you sign, yeah. you know. Yeah. You no, know, there's a lot of you know rich, rich guys that haven't worked a day in the last thirty years that made a song. You know. For, yeah.
0: And and, and and you, one you never know. Yeah, that one song. So when I think of my very favorite albums, right, I don't know if I was if I was making a list of like my 10 favorite albums or 20 favorite albums. I don't think there'd be a super group on there.
2: I wouldn't say there would be yeah. for me either.
0: So, again, there's some great stuff there. But this notion of a super group to me is kind of, I don't want to say doomed to failure from the beginning. but But, yeah, it's. It's hard to imagine a, a, a long-lasting supergroup right. to me. Well, I got a question
2: for you. Okay. I'm ready. This is a hypothetical. Is Foo Fighters a
0: supergroup? Well, okay. Two, you got two guys from Nirvana, right, in Foo Fighters? Or yeah, was it one only, guy? Oh, one guy. So just Dave Grohl. Just Dave There's only three guys. There's, there's only three guys, guys in, in Nirvana. One of three just... guys. Yeah, that's right. Well, I guess it could only be. Okay. So um, – and, and first of all, let me say I'm a big Dave Grohl fan. Yeah. I like Foo Fighters. I, I they this put is, on a great show I saw them last year. This is going to be sacrilegious for grunge fans. I would way rather listen to Foo Fighters than Nirvana. I mean, that's just me. I would too. Yeah. I don't but, I don't know what But you got, got Pat Paul. Smear in there too. And where's yeah. what's his background?
2: Uh what was band was he in? But he's with uh he it was basically the punk underground
0: of uh, of okay. California at the time. Yeah. He was really like the the germs? Is that what okay, I've I've actually heard of the germs, and I just thought of a supergroup that I would be remiss if I didn't mention them, and, and I'm who's who's I'm ashamed that? that I didn't mention them, but they fell victim to the very thing I'm talking about, and that's big egos, busy schedules, own careers, chicken foot, chicken okay. foot, chicken yeah. foot was Sammy Hagar, Michael Anthony. Joe, Joe Satriani. Satriani and Chad Smith from right. the Chili Peppers, right? I love them. Two albums. They've got their first Chickenfoot album and then their second album is called Chickenfoot 3. But they're really good. And I don't want to say that it was egos. I just think they they all had so much going on that it was hard for them to, you know, they all had their own solo things going on. Hard for I, them to I mean, like
2: if you have a supergroup come together, they can play their own music. But right with Satriani, he's going to play what exactly? Well, play play his instrumentals it, for
0: half the show, exactly.
2: Or, yeah. or is Chad Smith going to play you know Red shot Chili Peppers drum yeah. licks? You know? I don't know.
0: And and so that
2: it's, that it's mostly whole, a basically a backing band for Sammy Hagar yeah, well, and the New
0: Tuesday Right. And now Sammy Hagar has the Circle, which is him and Michael Anthony mm. and Jason Bonham. Oh, That's yeah. almost a supergroup too. I would say Vic, that Vic Johnson. Yeah, so. And I just, now I'm thinking of, now all the ones I told John at the beginning, I'm one of these guys that never writes anything down because I say, oh, I'll remember that. Oh, yeah. Well, I never remember it. The, uh, the other one that should have been on my list, Black Country Communion. Oh, right? I was thinking of those. Uh, another, Joe Bonamassa, uh, Glenn Hughes. Glenn Hughes, yeah. Derek Shurnigan, Sher- Sher- Sherinian, the keyboard player, and that's Jason Bonham, Jason too. Bonham, too, yeah. It's a great band, too. Got, oh. They have three albums, I think, and they're all good. Bonham is a I mean he's really good. I don't I don't know if he's a better singer or guitar player. His singing has gotten really his good. His singing is great. And and here's what's funny about Bonamassa is he's a nerd. He's a dork. He's a major dork, and he'll tell you he's a dork. But to, to just talk to him, he's a dork. But man, he can play. And he's got a collection. Oh it's crazy.
2: Uh, he was a guitar and amp collector from his teens. Yeah.
0: And he's just got rooms and rooms oh, full of them. Just- no, here's a '57 whatever. Look at here's this '57 a... tweed I've got. It is. Is. Yeah, it's crazy. So, anyways, hey, this was a great conversation. We would love to hear you guys chime in. Email us classicguitarrocketmail.com. Check out the website. You can leave uh, you know, contact us uh, through the website. And whatever you do, if you like the podcast, please share it with your friends. Follow us. You can check it out on any of the, the podcast platforms. And one last plug for the Classic Guitar Rock Countdown, which only is available on Spotify Premium. That's a countdown show where we can actually play the songs in their entirety. We've got three up now, but you can check those out. That's the Classic Guitar Rock Countdown. John, I'm excited to have you on board. Looking forward to it. I'm excited to be here. And, you know, i I don't know much about Classic
2: guitar, but I know a little bit, so yeah, that's, that's I, I have a different spin, but hopefully we'll come up with some good ideas. So uh, it's a pleasure to be here.
0: Yeah, it's great having you, and we will see you all on the next episode of the Classic Guitar Rock
1: Podcast. Bye bye. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. Oh, sweetly. Please like, subscribe, and share. You can email us at classicguitarrock at mail.com We are not ordinary people. <laughs> We'll see you for the next episode of the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast.